Hello, and welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. My name is David Kiley, Senior Editor of Wards Auto. Thanks for joining us. We've been doing this weekly podcast since June, exploring issues around this messy and disruptive transition from an industry centered around the internal combustion engine to one centered around electrification. We have explored new EV models, interviewed CEOs and other C-suite leaders at the automakers and tier one suppliers, as well as some folks who are right into the trenches, chief engineers and program managers, as well as analysts of the industry. Today, we talk to Adam Rogazino, battery analyst for Ward's Intelligence, and he updates us on the latest news about solid state batteries, the falling prices of batteries, and what all that means. And we talked to Steve Patton, EY America's mobility sector leader, about a recent study from the global consulting firm about big issues such as buying intent by the public toward EVs, as well as what consumers' biggest fears are. And one of the results I think will surprise you as it did me. When we come back from this message from our sponsor, American Axle, a chat with Adam Rogazino. This podcast is brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. Adam Rogazino is the lead battery analyst at Ward's Intelligence, and we grabbed some time with him as he was winding up a trip to Detroit for the battery show and some meetings with battery companies. So, hello, Adam. How you doing? Hey, Dave. Good to be back. Yeah, so you went to the Battery Show last week, and it was held concurrently with the Detroit Auto Show. And from what I heard, all the action was at the Battery Show because there sure wasn't much action at the Detroit Auto Show, which uh, who did, 10 years ago, who would have thought that, right? Yeah, but, I, I've only been to a couple of the Battery Shows, but this one was the largest I've seen. I thought last year was big, but this was even bigger. Yeah, I think that's going to be the the trend from now on. I think the conventional auto shows in Detroit, New York, and Chicago are going to uh, starve a bit. Uh, I think that these battery shows are going to garner more attention. The LA show, I think, will continue to be strong because of the emphasis at the LA show traditionally with um, sustainability and electric and hybrids and, and, and all of that. But anyway, so one of the issues I know that is popped up that I wanted to talk to you about uh, with our, for our listeners, when we had you on back in June, and we ought to just, we ought to have you on every couple of months because the activity in, in the battery space continues to change all the time. But um, it feels like I've been reading a lot about solid state batteries. And I know we touched on that the last time you were on, but solid state batteries and longer ranges for EVs that would employ solid state batteries. What can you tell us about the developments of the last couple of months 
to kind of cut through the hype, keep our feet on the ground and give us a guidepost as to what's real and what's real for the next year or two versus what looks like it's real for 2028 to 2030. Sure. Yeah. So the most recent um, solid state news was because of Toyota. And we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, for years, the battery industry has been hearing that solid states are coming. And the joke was that solid states are perennially 10 years away. (laughs) But I, I think they really are coming this time because a lot, the intensity around the research and development has really not just a notch, but several notches. But, you know, people should keep in mind the battery industry historically makes progress incrementally, not really in, in these, you know, earth shattering leaps and bounds. So I think SSBs are coming. Lots of companies are working on them in some form. But I think the story of um, Chinese EV maker uh, Neo is a great illustration of you know, some of the problems of bringing solid state to uh, commercialization. So Neo had announced back in, in 2021 that they were the solid state battery to replace their standard packs. They said they would have this ready in 22 last year. Um, Neo offers a swap technology too, which I the listeners should keep in mind. Um, and Neo at the time, in, uh, back in 21, had worked with uh, two of their suppliers, We Lion and Goshen. And the batteries, according to their suppliers, were going to cost about the same as you know the standard uh, liquid electrolytes at the uh, packs that they were using. But by this year, only We Lion said that they had a battery ready for sale, but it was going to be a semi-solid. And it turns out the final pack is actually heavier um, than a liquid electrolyte and much more expensive. So Neo offers the semi-solid pack as a rental or sort of a specialty swap for, you know, long drives or hauling something. Um, not as a standard pack yet. It's still too expensive. You just mentioned swap technology. And is that where you have a car that where you can pull into places and the battery physically gets swapped exactly. out? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. And Neo's one of the only companies that's using it and you know, it started in China against everyone's idea that, you know, it's not really a viable option. Well, Neo made it a viable option and they've bring, they've brought their swap technology to Europe too now. Mm. So Neo is using it. How much more popular it will get, I'm not sure. But but right now it, it is it is something they do. So I can imagine on the swap technology, Here's what I can imagine. I can imagine it working, particularly in densely populated cities, but I also would imagine that there's a lot of investment and a lot of real estate that has to go into that. Yeah, absolutely. You you got to set up these little stations. It looks like a little car wash. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So how, how like you say Neo is making it work, but what is the industry think of this approach, which is very different from fast charging. Yeah. So uh, historically, the industry has, has said this is not a viable solution. Everyone sort of turned away from it. But NEO has been making it work in China. Um, it's a really a question of can they can they scale it up? Can they bring it to other parts of the world? I have another question about batteries, which is the price of batteries has been falling. And I'm seeing a lot of news stories about the price of EVs coming down even more because, I mean, they were coming down because they had oversupply. Bit of a price war uh, it has been going on for months. But now the 
price of batteries is coming down. Why is that? So very simple answer. A lot more capacity came online um, than everyone anticipated. And this is especially true in China, in the uh, Xinjiang region. China brought a lot of capacity online. Um, other mines have come online too. And combine that with the wobble we just talked about in EV demand, and we ended up with the glut of the metals. Um, so lithium prices fell, cobalt prices fell. And as a result, the prices you were talking about was sell prices that came down. They, the news was they recently came down under 100 per you know kilowatt hour. But there's a lag, you know, from what a cell costs to what a pack costs, you know, because the pack is not just the cells. And then from, you know, what the cell costs to what an EV costs, there's a lag as well. And by the time the EV costs come down, you could have the metal prices go back up. The, the price of the metals is more complicated than just, well, I guess it's not more complicated than supply and demand, but it's it's more than the, uh, the mining coming online too, just because of the way the prices work and the spot prices work and the uh, refining and everything so okay so and i want to touch on one more thing with you which uh i found kind of puzzling which was a headline that uh this is a piece this morning in the washington post about a u.s plan to put battery plants in congo and zambia in africa how does that square with all the emphasis that we've seen on sourcing batteries in the u.s yeah. So it squares very nicely with the fact that we don't have enough developed yet. In the example of cobalt, which is what comes out of DRC in uh, Zambia, we do have some cobalt mines. And one of them's in Michigan, as a matter of fact. Uh, another one's in Idaho and a lot, uh, several in Minnesota. But um, so how does it square? It, it squares more politically than anything else. You know, China has been operating in Africa for decades, um, Belt and Road initiatives, investments, and that the Chinese, they probably own or have a stake in about 70% of Congo's cobalt mining. Mm -hmm. And then China's responsible for about 80% of that cobalt mining's processing. So even if China doesn't own or have a stake in the mines, the miners that are selling their product for the most part, sell to Chinese um, uh, refiners. Okay. So you know, to move away from the Chinese value chain, the U.S. is building out its own. I think what's interesting is, you know, will will the U.S. sign similar to what we did with uh, South Korea, and J not South Korea, just Japan, where we carved out uh, free trade agreements for uh, mineral supply? Will we do that with some African nations as well to uh, make them sort of part of the U.S. value chain? Thanks so much for, for giving us an update. I, I feel like the battery news, I don't think we necessarily you know, want to drill down into it every week, but it's great to catch up with you as our Ward's Intelligence Battery Analyst You know, every couple of months to see where, where we're at, what the new issues are, what the new breakthroughs are, what the new, you know, what, what the news is around batteries, because obviously... So goes the battery supply and industry. So goes the pace of EV sales and production and adoption. So thanks very much. And uh, next year, I'm going to the battery show with, with you <laughs> instead of the Detroit Auto Show. Well, next year, it'll be in Detroit, but in a different month now. So we'll no, you won't even have, you can do both next year. Oh, okay. Very good. Because, yeah, it was interesting that they had them going concurrently. 
Yeah, that's that's been the trend for the past couple of years. Yeah. So I've never gotten to go to the Detroit Auto Show. I'm always at the Battery Show. <laughs> well, unfortunately, these days, you didn't really miss much. <laughs> so anyway, thanks again, Adam. Appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, thanks to Adam for that insight. The kind of batteries we're going to use, the cost of batteries, these are all issues for the automakers in the building and pricing of EVs. Now, consumers who are facing the buying choices today and over the next several years as more EV choices come online, well, that's what Steve Patton, the mobility sector chief at global consulting firm EY, which some of you may know as Ernst & Young before it underwent a rebranding. That's what he's going to talk to us about. This podcast was brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. Welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast, Steve Patton, who is the mobility sector leader for EY Americas. And for those who don't know, EY which used to be known as Ernst & Young, they, among the things that Steve's group does is they put out an EY Mobility Consumer Index, which came out uh, fairly recently. Steve, I, I got to ask you, uh, the first thing that really jumped out at me on the Mobility Index findings were that of the U.S. consumers planning on purchasing a new vehicle in the next two years, nearly half said that they intend to purchase an yeah. EV, which is dramatically up from the year before, which was uh, 29%. Um, About 29%, that's right. Yeah. So, so put this number in context, because it is way higher than I imagined. Yeah, and, and, and frankly, David, it goes back even further than just last year, because we this is our fourth installment of the MCI. And what we had found is we were fairly stable at about 28, 29% for, you know, cycle over cycle. And then this year when we did this survey, and frankly, we're expanding the reach um, in more countries, um, obviously the 29% and 49% are US. But what we noticed is that all of a sudden we see this improved acceptance of electric vehicles. And th there's a, a lot of things that I think contribute to that. But I think the, the biggest one is there's been a lot of money that's been allocated through regulatory agencies around incentivization, either incentivizing us as consumers to go buy electric vehicles, incentivizing the OEMs to go build electric vehicles, incentivizing around infrastructure build out, and so I think all of those things combined start making it a very clear picture that EVs are here to stay. We're starting to see them show up in our neighbors' driveways and garages. We're starting to see the types of vehicles that we typically want to buy here in North America. I mean, one of the biggest challenges we've had for the longest time is the biggest segment in the U.S. is pickup trucks and SUVs. 
but we didn't really have a whole lot of optionality in electric vehicles in those segments until recently. And so I think all of those things combined is why we're starting to see consumers look at it and say, yeah, I think I will consider an electric vehicle next time I purchase one. But we found the same uh, bit of surprise that we had that big of a step change uh, in one cycle here. So here's why, here's where my surprise comes from. All right. So one is that we keep, you know, reading about uh, range anxiety and there's all kinds of media. If you start researching on the, on the internet, what you'll find is a whole lot of stories about, you know, the nightmare of, of uh, trying to find operating chargers. So, um, in fact, I read yes. I read one yesterday about a guy who drove, tried to drive from Canada, somewhere in Canada, in a Ford Lightning, to I think someplace in Illinois, and the cost of his ownership and hassle cost that he has endured since buying his Lightning pickup truck was was enough to put anybody off off of it. Um, and then the other thing that I, I think about is uh, is that we're in an inflationary environment. And so the cost of EVs, even with the, the, the available EVs, even with the federal incentives, is still very high. And to your point on the SUVs, they're only really just coming on. So, um, I mean, the, the Lightning's yeah. been out. Um, the Silverado is not even on sale yet. Some of the some of the smaller SUVs like the uh, Equinox and things, th- those are haven't really been publicized much. Um, they're just they're not even here or they're just arriving. So all of that, all that I'm talking about is is why, you know, darn near half of, of respondents. What what is the demographic of the sample in terms? Of, do you have any? Yeah. Info to share on on age, income, yeah, it's broad. education. Yeah, I, I can share it with you. Um, it's very broad, though. We try to take a look at all demographic groups, all income levels, rural, suburban, male, female. I think there's 18 countries now represented. So it is a very broad base. Um, and so it is uh, representative um, of what we see in the market generally. So... Again, I think it's the the acceptance is being driven by the fact that we're just getting more conditioned. Now, I'm going to talk to you about the the infrastructure because that does remain the number one concern. There's there's a couple things here around the of what the consumer's thinking. First of all, when we first did this, the concern about the vehicle itself and reliability of the electric vehicle and it was I think that's an inferior product. That in these last four cycles has completely flipped. And now the vehicle is being viewed as superior in technology, better performance, better technology, newer, right? ICE is the dying kind of um, vehicle type and EV is the growing vehicle type. So around the vehicle itself, it is now being perceived as a superior product than an ICE product. And there is a willingness to pay more for it which is important back to your point around these cars cost more, right? So there is a willingness. Now that tops out pretty quickly after about 20%. There's like a 20% premium that we're expecting, but if it gets much beyond that, then there isn't enough differentiation, I think that would allow consumers to say, I still want to buy it. 
So the product is now, we have a different perception of what the product is. It's a better product in, in general. Now, the challenge that consumers still have though, is very much related to the experience with charging and availability of infrastructure. That is the biggest deterrent people are still looking at as far as why would I not want to adopt an EV? And so there's a lot to unpack on that, but the, the availability of chargers, as we know, through like IIJA, the infrastructure bills, there is a lot of money going to that because it is known that we have a lot of work to do around building out infrastructure. So not only the number of chargers, but we need to work on reliability of chargers. As you mentioned, we need standards, right? We need to develop all this. And frankly, the grid needs to be upgraded as well. So there's a lot of work that needs to do that. The consumers recognize that there are challenges and the stories that you mentioned around, hey, I went to the charger and it didn't work. I went to the next one and it didn't work. And I have 12 miles left and I don't know what to do. The, those stories do impact the consumer psyche around, is this right for me yet? And so that's why I think you see all of the work being done at the federal level to invest in infrastructure. States are putting the money to invest in infrastructure. You're also seeing now the OEMs come together in like the recent announced JV around building, you know, them putting money in, the charge point operators putting money in. So I think all of this is going to address, which is now the emerging concern or the most prominent concern right now of the consumer, which is that whole experience of charging the infrastructure um, and, um, you know, it's readiness, availability and reliability. The consortium of, of, uh, of seven automakers to put in 30,000 uh, additional fast chargers is fine, except that, you know, they're, they're not going to be in until 2026 or something. But the numbers I'm right. reading say we need 2 million public chargers by yeah. 2030 to handle the volume of EVs that we expect to be on the road. Yes, and I think I think your number is low, to be honest. I think we're going to need even more. Um, well, that's public charging. I think if you look at total charging, here and you you nailed it. It's the consumer psyche we got to deal with. It's how do how does the consumer perceive the interaction with these charging infrastructures? But think think about today, right? You'll you'll get in your car. That's your ice power your uh, um, fuel powered car. You get in your garage. You have five miles left left that's screaming in your dash, and you don't have a problem leaving your house with five miles left. You have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. We would not do that today if we had five miles left in a in a electric vehicle, because to your point, the public availability of the charging is spotty, very spotty, right? Um, I happen to know where they're at in my location, but if I'm new to an EV or if I'm in a location that I'm not familiar with, I have no clue where they're out other than the apps and the in that are in vehicle that will help us find that. But but the reality is this. Again, most of the chargers today are in our garages, right? They're in our place of employment or they're where we sleep at night. And so most cases today, when I get into the electric vehicle, it is 100% charged or nearly 100% charged. And so while I do have um, you know, certain situations where I'm going to be driving more than the overall range of that vehicle, the vast majority of the times I get into an electric vehicle, it's already fully charged. And I know I'm going to be le driving less than what the vehicle was rated to drive um, as far as total uh, distance mileage. 
The problem with it is, is that we tend to think around those cases, the edge cases around what happens if, right? What happens if I only have five miles left and I don't know where the charger is? And so we kind of really focus on that aspect of it. But, you know, if we had if we had gas stations or uh, fueling stations inside of our garages, we'd always leave our house with 100 percent fuel as well. Right. Right. But the reality is, is that that infrastructure isn't available inside of our houses where electric is. It's like hydrogen, right? The hydrogen fueling out in, in California, we can't put hydrogen stations inside of a person's home, but we can't put electric outlets inside of people's homes. So, but that's a that's a whole new concept for people who haven't experienced electric vehicles yet, have been driving ICE vehicles for you know decades, and to change the perception around how do we think about the recharging cycle? Most charges today happen in a private setting, whether it's at your home or your place of employment. The vast majority of charges are being ha- happening there. But for the road trip, right? If I'm going to be driving 800 miles and I know I need to stop. There's just this consumer concern still around, am I going to be able to find that charging station when I need it? And is it going to be available? And do I not have to wait two hours to get in line to do it? And then is it going to take me two hours to charge my vehicle? But DC fast chargers are getting pretty good. I think we're getting about 90 miles out of 10 minutes of charge, far superior than about 30 miles per hour that I'm getting out of a level two charger in my garage. Yeah. Well, on a road trip, so, for example, the, the, I, I took a road trip. improving. Yeah, I took a road trip last year from Detroit to Boston in a in an EV, and I did not. I had zero problem charging it along the way because the the throughway was seems to be littered with the fast charging rest areas. You know, so I had yeah. I I I had no problem. And in point of fact, I mean, unless you're unless you're racing, you know, you can hook the thing up and go into the rest area and, um, you know, get your coffee and go to the restroom and do this, that, and the other thing. And you have a a nice lift on, on your total, on your charge and your range. Now, let me ask you this, because this is a, a statistic in your study And that has been, I've seen a few times recently, and frankly, I didn't know what a big deal this is. And that is home charging safety, which is uh, 57% of, of buyers cite the danger of home charging as a key deterrent. I saw the same stat and I reacted the same way is that why is that? evolving to be the top concern of consumers around home chargers. Um, and I do think it's because, let's face it, it's, you know, it's new technology. We tend to look w- with a, a little bit more of a critical eye on things that are new. And if we see a, a news story about a car file fire because it's battery, you know, ignited, then all of a sudden that becomes the story and we focus on that let you know we don't pay attention anymore to car fires that we generally see on a weekly or maybe monthly basis we'll see a car fire somewhere or we'll see the evidence of one that was on the side of the highway that happens all the time but we don't read about those in the national press but we do read about a car fire that was started because of a battery because again it's new and we don't really understand it and so i do think that there's just a confluence of different things that have happened to make us now evolve to where the safety of a home charger is kind of one of those areas that our consumer is worried about. 
Steve Patton, the sector leader for EY Mobility in the Americas. Thank you very much for sharing time with us, sharing your insights. Tell my audience, you know, if they want to get engaged with EY directly on your mobility practice, how, how do they do it? Uh, EY.com. And once you get in there, we have an automotive landing page. So feel free to visit us and take a look at the points of view we have and some of our thought leadership. Terrific. David, thank you for having me today. Terrific. Thanks again, Steve. Thanks to Adam Rogazino and Steve Patton for giving us valuable insight about two burning issues confronting the transition to EVs. Remember, we hope you will subscribe to the Wards Auto Podcast from your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or you can play the podcast straight off the Wards Auto page when you see an article about the latest episode, or if you see it in your Wards Auto daily email. Just click on the graphic in the story that says, listen now, and you can play the podcast off your laptop, phone, or tablet as well. I'm David Kiley, your host and senior editor at Wards Auto. Graham Mitchell is our engineer. Till next time, enjoy the ride. <laughs>